So we don't often start this way. But I'd like to start this sermon with a reading out of the Christian scriptures, the book of John in particular. This is the eighth chapter. Then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Where did they go? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. What do we make of passages like this? Sin is one of those words that can be hard to talk about in a contemporary Unitarian Universalist context. And that's because it's one of those words that's really, really easily weaponized. There's this sense in the broader culture that sin is somehow um, keeping score in a cosmic rule book. You do this many sins, and you are somehow an evil person. Avoid sins, keep that cosmic book clean, and you get to go to heaven. That is not, of course, what we proclaim here. And I would argue that at least in this part of John 8, that's not an idea of sin that either Jesus or the person writing the gospel had much interest in. There's an old universalist saying, There is no hell except for the ones that we create here on earth. This is compelling to me. I'm a universalist through and through. And the idea of some kind of cosmic hell or punishment, if you break the rules enough times, offends my rationality and my understanding of the divine. And yet it's, it's easy to skip over the real wrong that exists in the world. The fact that there is something wrong. That we might say there is evil. We stumble on this over and over in Unitarian Universalism. The seven principles that we talk about, that we hold dear, are, are all positive statements. 
They're all positive statements of action. They're aspirational. We believe that people have inherent worth and dignity. We believe in the democratic process. We believe in the goal of world community. We believe that we are all interconnected. But what language do we have to talk about why people aren't treated with inherent worth and dignity? While why not everybody follows the democratic process, why the goal of world community seems uh, distant some days. How do we understand the part of the human condition that creates hell on earth? How do we understand the actions of a cop in 2014 in Ferguson, Missouri? Or of a policymaker who proclaims, despite all evidence to the contrary, that climate change has no human component and isn't a thing to worry about anyway. How do we understand that? What in basic terms opposes the seven principles and keeps them from creating heaven on earth? So the word that's usually translated as sin in Christian scriptures is the Greek Harmatano. The Greek in the New Testament borrows heavily from the language of drama and theater that would have been probably commonly known by readers in the first century. Hamartano has a literal sense of missing the mark. The, the literal image is a, of an archer pulling back a bow, shooting at a target over there and missing to the left or the right. The same term appears in Greek literature that's not scripture. Homer, Plato, Aristotle all use it, but often with different connotations, so it's translated differently in English. It is the tragic flaw that creates the downfall of the hero. It is Achilles' anger or Icarus's hubris in flying too close to the sun. So if we read John 8 with that understanding of the word that's being translated as sin, what do we get? A group of officials come before Jesus demanding a woman be punished. He doodles on the ground. When pressed for an answer, he responds, you, you who've never missed a mark you're aiming at, you throw the first stone. The double meaning is there in Greek, you who have never missed the mark throw the first stone. And then he goes back to doodling in the sand. And when everyone has left, he asks the woman, what, has no one condemned you? I do not condemn you either. Now go forward and aim better. <laughs> this, I'll just say, is, is the Jesus of the stories that I grew to love in, in seminary, the one that kneels down and draws pictures in the dust in the sand while asking exactly the right question, often with a pun, to change the hearts of those around him. I miss the mark all the time. All the time. I'm late to meetings. I say things I shouldn't. I get angry and snap at people, even when I'm angry about something completely different. And for me, it's useful to think of those things as sin, but not sin in the cosmic rule book sense, but the sin of missing the mark, of not quite doing what I'm aiming to do. The response is not 
condemnation and damnation, the response is practice. Lots and lots of practice. Aim better. Get closer to the target next time. To carry this metaphor maybe one step too far. Since moving to Lincoln, I've started golfing. <laughs> Is Fritz here today? <laughs> so um, the city's municipal courses here are beautiful, and our minister emeritus, Fritz Hudson, and I have found this to be a wonderful way of spending an hour catching up and bouncing ideas off of each other. It's been one of the joys of the last two years. A anyway, golf is an entire sport uh, devoted to missing the mark. <laughs> because even after a lot of practice, there seems to always, always be a chance, at least for me, that a shot that I intend to be a graceful arc onto the green will instead shoot off to the side like a bat out of hell <laughs> and land in some deep grass that I didn't even know existed. This is much like sin. Even, even the professionals in the sport often end up in the middle of sand traps or in a stand of trees nowhere near to where they're aiming. The goal, the goal is to be average in golf. The goal is to get par. It's a humbling game. <laughs> so maybe sin is like that. Hamartano, missing the mark. There's another piece of this conversation that we have to touch on as Unitarian Universalists, though. Because sin in our tradition cannot be thought of as an individual thing. Some of my colleagues and I were talking about this topic on social media last week. I was not the one that brought it up. And my friend, uh, Reverend Madeline Campbell, put it this way. She wrote, I think we ignore the concept of sin at our peril. I agree that it's not about keeping score in a cosmic rule book, and I do tend to use the definition of missing the mark. But I think if we focus too much on just what gives us fulfillment or not, this was another part of the conversation, that we will also miss the mark. We are social animals in relationship to one another. So sin must include our failure to care for others. We cannot simply talk about sin as an individual act. So much of the evil or the brokenness in the world is collective. The theologian Reinhold Niebuhr was absolutely not Unitarian Universalist, but he spoke about something important when he wrote the book Moral Man and Immoral Society. He argued that a group of individually decent people could generate a society that sinned collectively. The classic example of this is, let's say I am a I'm a decent human being, but I believe very strongly that my family needs to be safe, and my family needs room. So I go out, and I buy the biggest SUV I can to make my family safe on the road and to make sure that we have room for all of our stuff. That might be a decision fully, fully moral if I'm thinking about myself. But if everybody does that, 
Then we add carbon to the atmosphere and temperatures rise. This is way oversimplifying things. But you can have a whole group of people making individually defensible decisions and collectively evil happens. That was Reinhold Niebuhr's point. So our individual reactions both reflect the collective culture and feed into it. This is the root of a lot of the isms in the world, I think. It's certainly the, the root of misogyny, it's the root of racism. Our individual actions reflect the collective culture and they feed the collective culture. So take that story from the book of John one more time. The scribes bring a woman before Jesus and claim that the law demands that she be stoned. In that moment, they are the ones missing the mark. Their actions are a reflection of the broader culture identified specifically in the story as the law. The broader culture is present. And at the same time, their actions contribute to and reinforce a culture where women are shamed publicly. It's a feedback loop between individual action and cultural evil. This is how systems of oppression perpetuate themselves by normalizing oppressive evil action, which in turn reinforces the underlying system. And this dynamic still exists today, right? Two weeks ago, we did a, a service on centering the voices of Unitarian Universalists of color. We quoted colleagues of mine at length about the challenges that they face in the Unitarian Universalist Association. Reverend Mitra Rahima wrote this, my colleagues were without a doubt the hardest part of the transition into ministry. One of the shocking experiences was colleagues explaining Unitarian Universalism to me and it being incompatible with the foundational Unitarian Universalism I knew in my bones. Just like I had to carve out my racial and other identities from others who tried to stake a claim on it, I had to carve out my faith from people who presume they inherited Unitarian Universalism and want to welcome me as a newcomer. In the experience Reverend Rahima describes, the unnamed colleagues were reflecting a broad cultural wrong that they, as presumably white Unitarian Universalists, are at the center and most important place in the tradition. And at the same time, they per perpetuate and reinforce that wrong by making it difficult for a lifelong Unitarian Universalist of color to enter into ministry. There is no hell except the ones we create here. So how do we break free of this? One of the benefits of ministry is that I don't have to answer every question I bring up in a given week. <laughs> I'll just say here, this, is, um, this maybe should have been in the announcements, but announcement break. Um, we have four worship services in seven days. Um, we have this Sunday. On Thursday, we have a third Thursday service that will be fully humanist. I promise I will not be quoting from the Gospel of John then. 
On Friday, we have a Good Friday service. I will be quoting from the Gospel of John then. And next Sunday is Easter Sunday, which will be an all-ages service. So we're going to be unpacking this question of wholeness and brokenness throughout the week in different settings and from different perspectives. So we're not going to get there today. It's, it's 10.55, and, um, and I'm going to wrap up pretty quick. But this is a beginning of asking some questions. So for this week, for this Sunday, Jesus in John 8 has one answer to this feedback loop. He separates himself from the, the system of misogyny playing out in front of him and turns the conversation back on the accusers. You, you who have never missed the mark, you throw the first stone. We also have a, a powerful resource within our UU tradition to practice. We say that we're interconnected. We say that all people have inherent worth and dig dignity. And just as we can reinforce racism, misogyny, all the other isms in our actions, we can also practice the reverse, reinforce the reverse. We are diminished by systems of oppression that operate within our congregations and society. By practicing breaking free of them, we can become more whole. So I want to draw to a close ending with a reflection co-written by the reverends Megan Foley and Teresa Soto. They were writing this in response to the movement for black lives and what our interaction should be as an institution, as Unitarian Universalists. So it's focused on that specific moment in society, but the lesson, the lesson's an important one. So this is what they wrote together. Unitarian Universalist minister, Reverend Teresa Soto writes, all of us need all of us to make it. I want you to get used to those words. Make them your prayer. All of us need all of us to make it. This is why Unitarian Universalists support the Black Lives Matter movement. Say it with me, loud or soft. All of us need all of us to make it. In a world where some of us are targeted for struggle and brutality, while others of us benefit and flourish, we pray all of us need all of us to make it. In a world where powerful people of ill will and indifference make us fearful for our safety and our future, we pray all of us need all of us to make it. In the excruciating place that lives between seeing and naming and hearing and changing, we pray all of us need all of us to make it. Make a picture in your mind of someone you aren't very happy with right now. Look at that face in your mind. And pray, all of us need all of us to make it. Unitarian Universalists believe that all of us need all of us to make it. 
That is why we are in solidarity with the movement for black lives today and every day. Thus ends Megan Foley and Teresa Soto's reflections. All of us need all of us to make it. That's a thing that we can practice. For me, that's, that's the target that I keep missing. That's the mark that I, I often find myself not quite there. That's a mark to practice aiming for. All of us need all of us to make it. So we'll pick up this thread next Sunday and Thursday and Friday. How do we move toward wholeness, toward completion? How do we practice? How do we remind ourselves continually that all of us need all of us to make it? Blessed be and amen.